Hello, you are listening to the Plumfield Moms, and this is Plumfield in Person. Hi, I'm Diane Pendergraft here with Sarah Masaryk, and we have Tanya Arnold and Sarah Kim with us from Biblio Guides today for our book discussion. Our monthly Our Reading Life. This is, I think we've said this many times and we'll continue to say it, it's probably our most favorite mm-hmm. episode of the month. Uh, we love these ladies and we love the accountability that we have to be sharing what we're reading with each other. We love the community, the accountability, the encouragement. And I find myself thinking, which things am I going to want to talk about this month while I'm reading my books? And so I find that that's just a really nice way to encourage active reading. So friends, welcome to our reading life. And this month, we're going to start with Sarah Kim because Yuna is taking a nap. And so it seems like the most prudent thing to do is to record her segment first. So Sarah, what are you reading this month? So last month, I mentioned I was reading When Hitler Stole Pink Rabbit by Judith Kerr. Mm -hmm. And I finished that this month and highly enjoyed it. Um, and so I would definitely recommend this one. Uh, so just a reminder, this is the author's story. So it's an autobiographical novel Mm -hmm. and it takes place when she's nine years old and her name is Anna and she's living in Germany and her father is a well-known writer and he's writing against the Nazis. And so right before, um, the election, when they suspect that Hitler may be elected, they decide, it'd be prudent to leave the country and they expect to be back in maybe six months or so. Mm. So they leave for Switzerland. And it turns out that the the day of the election when Hitler won, they came for their passports. Wow. And so it was incredible that they had, you know, decided to leave. Um, they were never able to go back and they moved from Switzerland to Paris and then eventually to London. And the story um, is just about her, her experiences you know, trying to make friends in all these new places, learning the language um, in France. Very little about England. Um, most of the story takes place in Switzerland and France. Mm. Yeah, I thought it was wonderful. Yay. And then um, I also started, I'll have more to say about this next time probably. This is another one that will be a free read for Kwanu, my son, 13-year-old. Uh, this is the story of the Trap Family Singers. Mm. So story from Sound of Music. Um, but in more detail. And I'm only on, let's see, chapter six, chapter five. Um, I love it so far. (laughs) It's really good. Um, The the writing is just engaging. And it's just so fun to hear more about their story. Um, So for anybody that loves the movie, I think this is going to be really good. And then um, I've on audio been listening to Byzantium by Stephen Lawhead. Oh, I don't know if any of you are familiar with that one. Yes. I don't remember. I think maybe I was just looking at books that would be interesting to read before we go to uh, the UK this summer. Mm-hmm. And this is about an Irish monk mm-hmm. who um, is taking the Book of Kells with some other monks to um, Byzantium, Constantinople. Yeah. And all of his adventures, um, he gets um, captured by vikings and spends time i think it's in norway they use a lot of place names that i'm not familiar with (laughs) i'm assuming it's all researched um you know from like middle ages times took me a long time to figure out when when uh they end up 
heading towards Constantinople that they're going like east down the river when they finally mentioned like, oh, we're stopping in Kiev. And I'm like, oh, wait, oh. they're not going down the Atlantic. <laughs> so there's all these, these names that just was a little bit disorienting, but um, it's very action packed. It's definitely an adult yes. um, book. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't recommend it for children at all. Just there's just certain things that come up with um, the things that the Vikings are doing and other things that probably is not appropriate for children. But What about um, for teens? Because I probably okay. I remember yeah. reading his Robin Hood trilogy and wanting to review it for Plumfield. This was like eight years ago. And for I, I never got around to it because I was always really unsettled about do we recommend it for teens or not? Is it right over the edge? I don't know. Yeah. So this one, I'm only not quite halfway into it so far. The only thing so far was there's one scene. I think this did take place in Kiev where um, he's describing like they call it copulation, mm. like happening out in the open in the tavern. Oh, yeah. So yeah. it's not like in a lot of detail or anything, but. But it's um, there. Yeah, it's there. So. Yeah. I think that's what I was struggling with was there's always just, it's just like just enough to say, eh, I don't know if this is really for teens or not. Um, but otherwise, the story, his his Robin Hood trilogy is so compelling. Did you ever read that one? No, I haven't. This is the first I read by him. Oh, yeah. yeah. I love Really enjoying it. It, it. it was everything I always wanted Robin Hood to be. <laughs> He's just so, I don't know. I Have you ever seen the Robin Hood BBC series from, um, it's from like the, the 2000, early 2000s? No, I've only seen the Disney oh. and Her- How- uh, Howard Pyle. <laughs> <laughs> and you've read Ivanhoe, right? I don't know if I have. I'll definitely be reading it soon, though, because that's another one we'll be reading. Um, (laughs) Right. don't think I have, actually. Oh, see, my earliest formation on Robin Hood came from Ivanhoe, and that's an awesome Robin Hood. And a lot of other Robin Hoods are pretty disappointing after that. But the I really felt like the Lawhead Robin Hood was really fun, really, really action-packed, like you said, really complex and interesting. So, Sarah, have you ever read Around the Year with the Von Trapps? No, but I think I bought that one before I bought this one. And then I thought I had this book. And then I'm like, wait a minute, it's a different book. Yeah, so that one is a really beautiful book. And it was out of print for a long time and hard to find. But uh, either Ignatius or Tan, I think it's Ignatius, reprinted it just recently. And it's written by Maria Von Trapp. And it is a year of all of the customs and rituals and traditions and the observances that they have. It's um, on my liturgical living shelf. It's a really like wonderful way. Like these, we make these particular, like her rum balls are the best rum balls you will ever have. Everybody tells me that when we, we made a whole platter of liturgically minded cookies during Advent and Christmas for our friends at the Abbey. And one of the Dutch priests came up to me and said, these are like European ones. <laughs> yes, they are. They're really good. <laughs> They're very oh, authentic. Great. So the Maria Von Trapp, around the year with the Von Trapps, it has music in it, like sheet music in it mm-hmm. and poems and prayers and recipes and crafts and activities. It's really, really lovely. So you might. Yeah, that sounds great. I mean, in the book, they just celebrated Christmas and oh. already like she was bringing in her traditions and really helping to warm the family, bring them back together. Yeah. Uh, this is beautiful. So that sounds great. Oh, yay. <laughs> Super fun. So just a reminder that the first book when, okay, my pink rabbit, how does, what is the exact title, Sarah? 
when Hitler Hitler stole Pink Rabbit. So just a reminder that when Hitler stole Pink Rabbit is one of the books that Sarah was reading as a pre-read for her. Quan was 13, right? So he's a teenager. So it's a pre-read that Sarah's doing for her 13-year-old. So that recommendation is really good for our teenage readers, which is great. Very cool. Yeah, I think that one would be good for middle school also. Awesome. Yeah, is there anything in it that would be cautionary that you'd be concerned about? Nothing beyond, you know, just the basic mentions of what's happening with the war, but it doesn't go into any detail. Fun, fun. Cool. Well, I think we should go to Tanya next because Diane and I are reading the same stuff. We have things to say. Well, Tanya, what are you reading? (laughs) (laughs) This month for me has been another chaotic month. We, my daughter's wedding is this week, so I feel like my reading has been minimal. But I can't believe you're here recording when your daughter's wedding is in like four days. I know, and we just had this home disaster, and I. I (laughs) But reading is also, I mean, sometimes it takes a lot of brain power, but sometimes it can just be a rest too from chaos. I mean, I did go do some thrift book shopping today just <laughs> as a as a break from and I found a Messner biography today what? at the thrift store <gasps> which one I don't remember the exact title but it's about Edna St. Vincent Millay wow it jumped off the shelf at me and then I opened it up and it said Julian Messner and I was like I thought so oh fun so that was kind of exciting um but I feel like a good portion of my month still went to that hideous strength Mm. and the conversation for that, which was so rich Mm -hmm. and so great. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if we said this on the podcast about if people liked it or if they didn't like it, or if we just really just discussed it, but I loved it. Yay. I really thought it was so thought provoking and I highlighted a lot. I was taking a lot of pictures. I remember I even Judd would walk into the room and I'd say, you have no context for this, but just listen to this part. <laughs> and he would shake his head. Yeah. Wow. I'm like, I know. I know. I wish you could just understand the power of what's being said here. Yeah. Um, other than that, I've spent a lot of time just playing with your on books. picture books. And you've spent a playing lot of time with playing with your books, moving them, moving them yeah, around. Yeah, there's been a lot of moving of books. <laughs> and then there's just been a lot of reading of picture books. I've been adding quite a few mm. to BiblioGuides. And a couple that just come to mind as being really great because we definitely still need book recommendations for the littlest of members Absolutely. of our families. And picture books are great. My daughter just turned nine, my youngest, and she still loves a great picture book. Mm. So Jill from Purple House Press has reprinted a couple of picture books from an author named Judith Shackner. And one is called Mr. Emerson's Cook. Oh. I have not read that one yet. Have yeah. either of you? Well, Diane is proofing it right now, I think. I, I did it. it yeah, it, it was real fast. Yeah. <laughs> so it looks lovely. I'm excited about that one. Yeah. And then she has one about a cat called the Granny Man. And one is coming out called Bits and Pieces. Which is about a cat as well, right? Yes. And it's so cute. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. And it just reminds me why children love animal stories and why we as adults love animal stories and how it's it's always interesting to me to think about some of the authors who write stories about their pets that become classics. For example, Claire Newbery. Is that how you say her name? Sarah Kim, do you know who I'm talking about? And she wrote about cats and dogs that were picture books. What's her name? Yeah, is it Clara Newbery, I think. I think she won Caldecott's or Newberry's back in the 30s. Huh. 
she was an author living in New York City, and she had kittens. I think one was called Smudge. And does that sound familiar? Yes, that does. And so she would write these stories about the antics of her pets. Yeah. And so when I was reading this one, Bits and Pieces, it just kind of reminded me of that, of how funny animals are. And when an author just brings that to life, everyone can relate. It's almost like it just brings every reader into that world and even children. And then they're also great opportunities for humor. I think it's really difficult to find books where children will just laugh. And even as adults, will just laugh that it's not potty humor or clean humor is truly uh, tricky Mm -hmm. and it's a talent to write it. So this was just funny and heartwarming and sweet. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, oh, Jill, that was a good one to select. So it was Claire Turley Newberry. Hmm. There it is. And she had one called Smudge. And then there was one about a bunny, Marshmallow, and then a couple of other ones. And I think they've been reprinted. They're still in print. They've just kind of become classics. I think I have Smudge. It's so cute. Mm. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And then the other ones that are kind of noteworthy um, that I was working on is four books that I found. One's called Hooray for Spring, Hooray for Summer. Hooray for winter and hooray for fall, something like that. No, no, hooray for snow instead oh, of winter. Yeah. And it's these three little squirrels that are siblings and they have parents and they are having some sort of experience in each of the seasons. But what's interesting is that they were actually originally written in Japanese in the 80s. And then in like 2008 to 2010, they were translated and published by North South Books here in the US. And they are darling. They are the illustrations. The author, I don't know how you say his name, um, so I'm not going to attempt to do that. We can put that in the show notes. He did both the illustrations and he wrote them and they're just, they're just so delightful. So like when it's snowing, the children want to go out and play in the snow and the parents don't really want to go out and play in the snow and they want to sled and finally they get the dad too. And then the mom, the dad goes and gets the mom and says, we need to go on a sleigh ride together. And then the mom and the dad, you see them sledding down the hill, yeah. taking their turn together. Oh, so and it's just sweet. this, so it's like, it's snow and nature, but it's also really positive family relationships. Yeah. And then in the fall one, I was just working on that when the mom knits each of them a red sweater. Oh. So they're all out with their red sweaters and then they're recognizing everything in fall that's red, including the sun. So they used to see red berries and Aww. red birds and a red sunset, and they're just enamored with the color red. And so they're just so cute and sweet. I got them at my library. A few are on Internet Archive, and it's just fun to see books that would have been prominent in another country. Yeah. So what other children in another country would have been yeah. reading and are probably still popular there, and then to have them here in the U.S., yeah. I love seeing those connections. So we have them on BiblioGuides, and sweet. they're darling. Sweet. The author is... Kazuo Iwamura. Wow. Thank you. I did not want to slaughter his name. That's his. my benefit of um, living in Hawaii. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. yes. Thank you, Sarah. <laughs> and just clarifying, Sarah, since you're looking it up, he did write and illustrate both of the, all of those books. Yes, that's right. So he's yeah. a double threat. He's one of those masters of writing. Being an author and an illustrator is yeah, that also is unique. Very unique. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's marvelous. And of course, it's on BiblioGuides, so people can go there and look and figure out Mm -hmm. how to find them by going through BiblioGuides. I love that. Yeah. Yay. Yay for picture books. That's what I've been doing, picture books. That's where my 
That's about the amount of time and brain capacity that I've had. <laughs> and I hate to say that because I don't think we should ever denigrate a picture book. I think picture books oh. are actually the best of the best are really well written to be able to say so yeah. much with few words and masterful pictures. Yeah. They are masterpieces in and of themselves when you find the good ones. And they have such a such a power over us. When you have a really great picture book, they really can do mm-hmm. a lot to heal us or encourage us. Um, I just, yeah, I think they're very powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yay. So that's it. Yay. <laughs> well, Diane and I are excited, but so Diane, before we talk about what we're reading together, I should probably, I'd like to just tell our listeners about two book clubs I've had this month that relate to things we've talked about on this show. Okay. So (laughs) I know you actually want to hear some of this. And I do have one that I wanted to mention that that wasn't what we're doing together. So, Okay, cool. So I just wanted to tell listeners about two of the book clubs that I've had this month in real life that connect directly to what we've done here. So my library officially opened in May and we had our very first book club a week ago, about a week and a half ago. And I had 17 children aged ages 7 to 12 years old gathered around my farm table talking about Cruella DeVille and Pongo and Mrs. And I had over a dozen parents in the library hanging out and talking life and parenting and homeschooling and all of that. I was blown away by the conversation that I had with little, little people about 101 Dalmatians. I had no idea that this book that we have all loved so much and enjoyed so much, I had no idea the, the depths of moral questions seven and 10 year olds were bringing to the table. There was a moment when we were discussing, you know, whose favorite character, you know, everybody went around and said who their favorite character was and which part of the book they liked the best, you know, your standard sort of getting to know each other type questions. And somebody made a comment about how evil is Cruella really? Well, she's evil. (laughs) Her name (laughs) says that she's evil. And, um, one of the one of the participants said, yes, but technically speaking, other than Pongo's puppies, all of the puppies that she had were lawfully hers. She purchased them. And the student went on to say, and there was no law that said she couldn't buy these puppies and kill them. Right. So <laughs> I thought, oh, my, this is quite the statement to throw out there and all the kids jumped on it because all of these young children had a very well-developed sense of moral rightness and moral wrongness and so that took us into some really interesting conversations about whether or not it was right for Pongo and his family to go and shred all of the furs at Cruella's house and some of the other things that happen. Whose property is whose? Who owns what? Are these laws just? How is it that Pongo views this? Why does Pongo change his mind and decide that it is okay? These were just amazing conversations to have with these tender, sweet, young souls. And what a gift it was for me because I've always been the teenage book club mom. Like I, I typically deal with with high school students. I don't typically deal with the little kids. And so to have such meaningful conversation with little kids, it was such a great joy for me. 
So I owe that to you girls because I wouldn't have read Dalmatians had it not been for all of you telling me how truly good a book it is. And it is. Well, you're welcome because I think everyone needs to know that. Exactly. And I've had several parents tell me that it was the perfect first book club book. Perfect was the word they used. And these are people who don't even know each other. And each of them said it because the story is lively and interesting and wholesome. It's also very exciting, but still very accessible. And so if the young reader is is reading with their eyes or with their ears, there's a lot to keep them interested, but it's not so hard that they get discouraged and want to put it down. And it's not too scary that they get turned off. It's just the perfect way to jump into kind of reading independently like that and then reading for a book club and and having things to say because you you have things to say when you're done with that book and so every child felt like they came to book club with something they could contribute to the book club and I just thought mamas if you're thinking about doing book clubs let us recommend 101 Dalmatians oh and by the way we're going to be producing some things to help you do that easier in the future so stay tuned (laughs) Well, that's now kind of tricky because now you've set the bar really high. Right. Where are you going to go from here? I know. (laughs) Only the best. (laughs) Only the best. Mm -hmm. Truthfully, it it is a high bar. You're right about that. It's a high bar. And that's a good thing to keep us challenged and to build on because we're going to just going to have to keep getting better and better stuff. Well, not better. Yeah, as good. Well, and don't you don't you ever stop to consider like, okay, so Diane knew this book was brilliant years and years and years ago, but you and I didn't know it was brilliant till last month, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> so when you think, well, we're, we want to bring the best books to mm-hmm. our kids, we can only bring the best of what we know, right? And so part of that is that continued desire and ability to keep expanding and reading, so that we can say, oh. Had no idea that this was a gem or that was a gem. And we know there's excellent books out there. um, That we don't know about. That we don't know about. There's some that we do know about. And there's so many that we don't know about. And we want to be bringing the creme de la creme to children for reading. Like, I think that's every mother's desire is that her child, regardless if they love to read or if they're a reluctant reader, would have an experience like that. Yes. Every child, right, that's would, the goal. Like, feel like they, they've connected with the story in a meaningful mm-hmm. way. I started the book club saying, I just want to lay down the ground rules. This is the first time we've all gotten together. So let's just get the ground rules out of the way. The, the rule of this book club is that we are here to be friends. That's the most important thing. So being friends means that everybody gets to talk if they want to. And if they don't want to, they don't have to. Everybody has the right to their own opinion. And so we are going to listen to everybody and we're going to let them tell us what they think. And we're going to be kind when we disagree with them because we're honest with each other. That's what it means to be a friend is to tell the truth. So in telling the truth, we're going to truthfully say what we do and do not think, but we're going to do it in a way that's friendly. And the kids were like, okay, great. (laughs) And we were off to the races. So beautiful. (laughs) That was on Saturday. So on Friday night, I had my first, I had my first parent teen space trilogy, ransom trilogy book club. And my mind was really blown by how completely different the conversation was from the conversation that we recorded here and yet how equally beautiful it was and how powerful it was. It was really neat to have the parents were all sitting on one side of the fire and the teens were all sitting on the other. And it was just 
lobbying of thoughts back and forth and agreements and disagreements and and going into um, really the unique humanity of ransom and whether or not the the first victim that was supposed to be taken to Malachandra, whether or not he actually would have been better received by the Malachandrians, whether or not he would have actually pleased the Oyarsa, whether or not he would have stayed on Malachandra, and whether or not that would have been a good thing for him versus Ransom who had to come home, even though Ransom was offered the chance to stay. And why did he come home and why does that matter? And it was just really powerful to talk about why Weston was the way that he was or why Divine was the way that he was. And it was really, really, really a special, a special thing. And so I really encourage parents to consider doing these things that might feel awkward. I tell you, I've done a lot of book clubs. And I've done a lot of book clubs with all of the people who are around the fire. I've done teen book clubs with these teens. And I've done, I'm in a Tuesday night club with a Tuesday night classics club with all these adults. But having them together in the same space, I was nerve wracked. I went into it thinking, I don't know if this is going to go well. I don't know what we're all going to think about this. I hope everybody's like expectations are okay. And I had to just remember to breathe, to not let it be dependent upon me to pray, and to just afford the space. Let people have the space to say what they want to say and and to work through these ideas themselves. And sitting around the fire, it was exactly like we thought. It was magical. The darker it got, the better the conversation Mm -hmm. became. Mm -hmm. So that's my rule for teens. If you can get them around a fire (laughs) at night, probably going to have a better book club. So moms and dads, grab your teenager and their friends and their parents and do something hard that you didn't want to do and watch what happens. So those are my two, those are my two updates <laughs> that I just, I had to come back and tell everybody about. So Diane, what are you reading this month? <laughs> this was coming up today and I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to, am I reading anything? What am I doing? Oh yeah. Well, work I'm working. I'm working but with books and that's mm. that's the best kind of work. So, we will talk about what we're reading together, but I also before we kind of got deep into something that distracted me again, I was trying to read Girl <laughs> Sleuth, which I had started mm-hmm. before and didn't get very far and had to stop and go do something else. And then a few days ago I started I got back into it and really just wanted to sit there and read the whole thing. Well, I couldn't right? do that because I have responsibilities. Mm-hmm. But in one of the very first chapters where they introduce Stratemeyer's daughter, who's the, so in, in like the first chapter, they set up the story with Edward Stratemeyer and introduce his daughter, mm-hmm. who's going to be writing some Nancy Drew books. Then there's also Mildred Wirt Benson, and they start telling her right. story a little bit. And some of the stories that she was reading, and I right. always have to know what those are. So um, that he mentioned some mystery serials by Augusta H. Seaman and something about a Ruth Fielding series. So I looked to see if there were any of those on Kindle, which I have to turn. Greta and I have been looking for Ruth Fielding books because of that. Usually the easiest way to get these things is to look and see if they're on Kindle. And I don't. And so, you know, I always need something for late at night when I'm this. This is my relaxation from reading 
for work is to read some more for not work. (laughs) (laughs) While you're looking for that, Mm -hmm. Diane, the Ruth Fielding books, which, what are those ones again? Is that the nurse books? Nope. That's Cherry Ames. Is she the flight attendant? Nope. That's Vicki Barr. Um, Ask me how I know. We have an entire I think this is I think this is older. This is what Mildred Benson was reading when she was a kid. So this is back before that. Greta will grab some of Okay. Okay. So Augusta Huell Seaman, that name is really Uh familiar to me. Okay, the the Ruth Fielding books are familiar to me as well. I wonder why I know those. Augusta Hall Seaman, we have her or Huell. I'm not sure how you say her name either because it's spelled H. U-I-E-L-L, right? There's a few of her books on BiblioGuides because I think The Good and the Beautiful had reprinted mm. them at one point. Oh. They were called, unless I'm making this up. Oh, yeah, like Mystery on Heron Shoals Island is one. I didn't realize that was a Ruth Fielding book. No, no, no. no. The Augusta yeah. Hewell Seaman. Gotcha. But the, yeah. the mysteries, okay. Mm-hmm. And then Melissa Across the Fence. Anyway, they reprinted quite a few of hers. So that name is really familiar, but I haven't read any of them yet. What a shame those are gone. I know. Some of them on the list, I thought, "Eh, I don't know. A lot of them are like being in the, what I'm called the, a moving picture that became real. The last motion picture company. Eh. (laughs) I don't know if I want to get into that, but I think that um, the Seaman books are mysteries. And the one that I picked was called the Dragon Secret. And so I'm only like a third of the way through, but I think it's really interesting that here's an early, early century mystery book for girls. And it's two girls mm-hmm. who didn't know each other until this week when the mystery comes up and get together and try to solve it. So you can see there's there's your little shadow of Nancy Drew in this little yeah, girl's life. Exactly. I can't decide whether I'm going to like it or not because one of they conscious they say let's not tell anybody. Right. Not cool. Yeah. So the one girl yeah. is with her mom's dad, but her dad she's with her dad and her brother, and the other girl is away from her family, living with her aunt who's having a rest vacation. Yeah. But they hide what they're doing on purpose and i'm thinking okay that's that better come out okay or else i'm not gonna think this is a good book but i i love these early 1900 stories like they're just there's something about that time period that draws me in anyway but then these this really simple mystery where probably nothing really terrible is going to happen but they're very worked up about it and trying to find the clues and just the kind of thing that mm-hmm. I would have loved when I was a yeah. kid. Yeah. And I'm yeah. sure that there's nothing dangerous or not clean. So anyway, just, just prospecting really. So I just want to remind our listeners uh, that Girl Sleuth came to our attention because of Tanya and Girl Sleuth is a fantastic book. We are, Diane and I are going to be reviewing it and doing a whole bunch of other stuff with it. Um, but Girl Sleuth is a fantastic book about the real Nancy Drew. The two, well, the, Nancy had several authors, but particularly she had two authors, two strong women who weren't working together uh, to create Nancy. And there's lots and lots of intrigue and tension. And it's a wonderful resource for parents who are trying to understand the Stratemeyer Syndicate books, which would be Nancy Drew, 
Happy Hollisters, Hardy Boys, Bobsy Twins, and a number of other series, many of which didn't survive for very long. Um, but Nancy and the Hardy Boys and the Bobsy Twins and the Happy Hollisters are probably the most, oh, and Tom Swift are probably the most famous series. And those persisted well into the 50s and 60s and beyond uh, for the most part. But in 1958, as we find out in Girl Sleuth, is when Grosset and Dunlap forced major overhauls to the Nancy Drew and Hardy Boy books. It appears as if the Happy Hollister's books were mostly untouched. Uh, I don't think they were actually published by Grosset and Dunlap. They were published by somebody else. And so the Happy Hollister's books remain pretty much as they were written, which is really nice. And if you are interested in the Happy Hollister's books, we want you to know that they are being republished by the author's family and they are being republished in their original format. So if they are, if you're a purist like we are, they're the only corrections they've made are minor things like a comma that's out of place or an apostrophe that's out of place, but they've left all the language intact, all the syntax intact and, and not updated any of the characters at all, which is wonderful. <laughs> so Girl Sleuth is a fantastic look into the world of these um, serialized children's literature that Diane and I really like these books for emerging readers, for building stamina and confidence. Tanya, I think you're a big fan of them as well. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Sarah, what about you? I'm most familiar with Happy Hollisters. Quanu read almost every single one. Mm -hmm. So yeah, they're great for building fluency. <laughs> yeah, we love them for building fluency. We also think that they're just so so totally wholesome. If you're getting the older ones, you're, I mean, Happy Hollisters are fine no matter what you get. But if you're getting the old Nancy Drew and the old Hardy Boys, you know, there's just a lot of really wholesome, wholesome scenarios in there. So if you've got a really advanced reader, I have a few of those in my library, and they are reading well above their maturity level and you don't want to give them things that their little hearts are not ready for even if their reading is this is a wonderful thing to sort of give them to chew on as they as they mature a little so friends one of the things we want to talk about with regard to girl sleuth is that the Grosson and Dunlap wholesale revisions were instigated for a number of reasons. One of them was that there is some issue of racial inequality in all of the books. They were books of their time, and there's some unflattering things in there. And so in that regard, we can appreciate why some of those revisions were necessary, and so too could the syndicate themselves. The problem with the Grosson and Dunlap revisions of Nancy Drew is that they took Nancy and changed her to modernize her. And in so doing, they took her away from her wholesome values. They took her away from some of the really good relationship with her father that she had in the early books. They dumbed down the writing, they upped the intensity, and they reduced the story to a smaller, more of a potboiler type book rather than a more developed mystery story. So that that's the premise, basically, of the author of Girl Sleuth is that those Grosset and Dunlap revisions were, were pretty, pretty bad for Nancy. We'll leave it to you. You should get girl sleuth either in audio or in in print and read it for yourself we will do a review because we're going to do something else as well we can't speak to the revisions of the hardy boys because we don't know what they are girl sleuth alludes to some of it but we don't really know because that book's about nancy drew 
but I am reading a book by the actual author of The Hardy Boys. And so I'm reading his memoir about The Hardy Boys and the story of those books. And so I don't know yet what the what the revisions did to The Hardy Boys, but I hope to find that out um, in sometime this year as I read read my way through that book. We've just begun to talk about the Stratmeyer Syndicate. There's actually a lot of really cool little rabbit holes we want to go down. So we're going to just uh, leave you with that teaser that more is coming as we uh, get more of our ducks in a row. Okay, mixing a lot of metaphors there because that's what I do. (laughs) So, Diane, what are we reading together right now? All of Gary D. Schmidt that we can get our hands on. Girls, did you hear that? <laughs> Diane is reading all of an author that she can get her hands on. This is the person who's like, oh my gosh, is it a series? Do I have to read more than one? But it's not. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I know. Every time we've talked about the Wednesday Wars, you were not excited. No. And and then you read it. Yes. But it took you forever. <laughs> Tell us about that. Well, yeah, I, I got through about half of it and was just kind of, it was wearing me out. Too much teenage boy stuff seventh grade mm-hmm. things um but i said i would read it and because because we were going to do something with it and so after i got to the end of it i realized there there's a lot there's really a lot of good stuff in there yeah and i wanted to check and see okay so this is something worthwhile that i could recommend to middle school kids that i know is there more is he right. equally good in others of his books he has a lot of books and they have a lot of different subjects but are they all could i recommend them now i'm very very far short of reading all of them but i have read three i believe and they are all equally good so it was interesting because in your review of pay attention carter jones you said you reached for one more to see if Wednesday Wars was an anomaly. Mm-hmm. Like, could he really do this again? And you loved Carter Jones. Mm-hmm. And I loved your review of Carter Jones so much. I got Carter Jones that day and started <laughs> it that night. And I've read Wednesday Wars, of course, and I read the sequel, Okay for Now. Mm-hmm. And I had not read Carter Jones. And so when I was reading it and couldn't believe how much I loved it, I was thinking, this is actually my favorite Gary D. Schmidt book is Carter Jones. But then I thought, well, in all fairness, I need to reread Okay for Now because it's been a while. And then I thought, no, no, I think that one's my favorite. (laughs) So then you were saying, I think I'd like to read more of his. I'd like to see more of what he has. And I agreed. Well, I found Lizzie Bright and the Buckminster's Boy at the library sale. So in hardback. So I thought that was kind of a sign as well. Oh, yeah. I wonder if we got the same book. Because I just got that one yesterday. Yeah, that'd be fun. (laughs) At a library thing. I wonder. We'll have to to take a look and see if ours are the same. So I thought, well, I, I'm really curious about everything he's writing. What what else has he written? We went and looked up all of his books and looked at all the different genres. So what's interesting is I was sorting picture books and realized I have multiple picture books by Gary D. Schmidt. St. Siard, 
St. Martin de Porres, and um, and one about the Old Testament, I think, if I remember correctly. It's either the Lord's Prayer or something like that. So we'll look those up. And I remember being kind of blown away that the author of OK For Now is writing children's religious books. <laughs> So I got, I thought, well, let's, let's just see what his repertoire or let's see what his range is really like. So I started What Came From the Stars, which has sort of like a, a, a Silmarillion, a Beowulf hero epic vibe to it. Um, but it, it, in classic Gary D. Schmidt, you've got a sixth grade boy living in just kind of normal America small town America, just living his life with his own drama. And then there's this epic thing that's happening in another world. And they've cast off this magical ring of power. And it falls into his lunchbox. And suddenly he's got magical powers. And he's got like magical radar. And all of a sudden, the sea monster is trying to find him, etc. I returned the book. (laughs) I got about... 30%, 30%, 40% through and thought, I, I feel like I'm wasting my time. I like good sci-fi. I like good fantasy. And I like good all-American boy books. This one isn't doing any of those things very well, in my opinion. So I didn't love that one. So then I thought, oh, well, that's kind of sad. Maybe this isn't going to be as fun a ride as we thought. So I got his newest book, The Labors of Hercules Beale. And that is fun. And said she wasn't going to start it until I got it, but she did it anyway. No, no, no. We agreed that we were going to wait for each other to read just like that. (laughs) (laughs) Just like that is the third book in the Wednesday Wars and Okay for Now arc. And we don't want to read it because somebody dies who we like. And so we don't want to do it. So we're going to, we, I thought we agreed we were going to do it together. Yes. Why was I waiting for you for Hercules? I, I just thought that that's what you were doing. Actually, I thought I was supposed to read it first, but you got there yeah. first. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's telling, though, that that's how good these are. And it, and it's amazing to me because here's an author writing modern stories for middle school kids that I can see the value of. That doesn't happen very often anymore. And make you cry. Yes. And not because they're yeah. bad. <laughs> no. Yeah. No, these books make you feel things. Yes. And... And not in a way that feels contrived, just in a way that kind of brings you right back to those painful moments in your own life, lets you feel your own feelings. But he's not leaving them there. Like we talked about last time with uh, um, the Judy Bloom type things, he's he's bringing them to maturity. By the end of the story, they have matured in some way. They're still only not even a year older. Seventh grade. Yeah. Yeah. But both both Wednesday Wars and um, OK for Now take place in about the space of a school year. But yeah. a lot happens and they Tip- are forced to mature. And it's really important for our listeners to know that these have some serious literary merit to them. In Wednesday Wars, so clearly loves Shakespeare that it pours right out of him into the story in a way that is so natural and appropriate. It moves the story along. 
it's definitely a formula, but it's a formula of something that he loves. And therefore, it's like a tried and tested recipe more than anything else. Right. He's not a teacher standing up in front of the class saying, okay, now we're going to, you're going to have to learn some Shakespeare. Here we go. No, exactly. Instead, it is, he delights in Shakespeare and he allows Holling to delight in Shakespeare in the way that a seventh grade boy would delight in Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then in Okay for Now, his ability to storytell what is happening in Audubon plates blows my mind. The way that he describes what's happening with the Arctic turn and connects that to what's happening in Doug Swiatek's life. It's so painful and so real and so powerful. It it makes you want to collect Audubon just to better understand life mm-hmm. because that's what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, there's Jane Eyre in there also for fun. I mean, seventh grade boy reading Jane Eyre or eighth grade boy reading Jane Eyre. <laughs> Hilarious. Which we don't go, go too deep into, I guess. <laughs> Not like with right. Shakespeare. <laughs> right. I don't know what's going to happen in Just Like That. I'm sure it follows the same pattern. Um, but parents, you will need to definitely, definitely check out our reviews because OK For Now deals with child abuse. And it, while it does not happen on scene, it's very central to the storyline. And it's it's heart-wrenching. But it's handled in a way that is... I don't mind rereading the book. It's not like reading some of these modern books that make you feel what the victim is feeling. These don't do that. Instead, you're feeling the survivor in them survive these situations and climb Mm -hmm. out of this dark hole that they would otherwise be in. And it's, I think it's a, it's a hero story in that regard. And then what's cool about Carter Jones and Hercules is that the characters from the Wednesday Wars and OK For Now are all grown up. And now they are the adults who get to be features or heroes in these new crop of middle school stories. And so it's super fun that way. But you can pick up any one of them and, and just Without read knowing it. anything. Yeah, and still yes. enjoy the story. All of them are standalone, yet all of them fit together. I love it when it happens like that. Mm-hmm. So our plan is to read as much Gary D. Schmidt as we can, review all of it, and do some other fun things with it so that you can do some fun things with it. That's our plan. Well, I do want to say I'm pretty fascinated because, I mean, I've seen them at thrift stores. I've heard some good things about the Wednesday Wars, probably just from you guys. Mm-hmm. There's never anything that's like captured me to say, oh, go read one of his books. Just to see and hear from you both that you're doing such a deep dive and that you're really enjoying what you're seeing is fascinating to me and thought-provoking. Also, I'm just looking him up on Wikipedia while we speak. And I love this little thing that it says. There is a little notation. So apparently this is a true story (laughs) or someone's notated it as a true story. (laughs) And I think this is fascinating because – I think many of us can can think of some people in our lives who are actually really brilliant individuals who probably had a similar situation. And so it said, as a child, Schmidt says he was underestimated by teachers at an elementary school where students were classified by aptitude. Concerning his early education, Schmidt explained in an interview with NPR, if you're track one, you're the college bound kid. If you're track two, you'll have a good job. If you're track three, you're the stupid kid. 
and I was tracked as track three. Mm. After intervention from a concerned teacher, Schmidt found a love for reading, an event which served as inspiration for his novel, The Wednesday Wars. He's Doug Swiatek. Wow, right? That's... I think... Well, I think he's all of them. <laughs> he is. Yeah, maybe so. He's Doug. <laughs> and I, I love hearing these stories from authors when you yeah. see that they had pain. I remember we... I uh, went to hear Richard Paul Evans speak, and I had taken my children when they were in elementary school, and he was speaking about Michael Vay. Mm. I have not read Michael Vay, but my kids have, sure. and my husband has. But I think in Michael Vay, the child, the main character, has a stutter. Mm. There's something. He has some sort of a challenge, mm-hmm. and that was Richard Paul Evans' challenge as well. Oh. And so he was really speaking to that for kids that have that have some sort of a thing that makes them different or makes them feel like it's holding them back. And one of the things we talked to our kids about is my husband was the same way. He couldn't read and he struggled so much in school. And finally, I think it was a second or third grade teacher recognized it and she created, or there was some sort of program. She herself took him under her wing and she I don't know what she did. Like, Jen and I even talk about it. And I said, well, what was the program? Basically, what we found out is he had dyslexia. Mm-hmm. And she did some sort of special – my mother-in-law was um, – she was overwhelmed with the, her five children and the marriage that she was uh-huh. in. And so Jed was just kind of floundering, falling through the cracks, falling through the cracks at home, falling through the cracks at school. And this teacher did some sort of a program with him. And it just – it like a switched – flipped in his brain and he just started reading the dyslexia did not go away it's like she helped him decode it format or or something because he says now so he's an avid reader he's always reading nonstop, 24 7 if he has a minute to sit down he's reading on his phone Mm -hmm. um and if he gets tired he can't control it Mm. so so then he was he was really watching our children all the time to see if it would show up in any of our children. And so I just think it's so interesting. And then, of course, he was labeled as the stupid kid. Right. 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 Oh. Yeah. So, Tanya, you have mm-hmm. to read OK for now. Yeah. No, Sounds no, like it. Yeah. You okay. Do. You do. <laughs> it's, you'll go. <gasps> so I don't want to spoil it for you, but you find out pretty quick. And, and then, of course, you go back to Wednesday Wars and go, oh, that's why he said that to Holly. Yeah. Okay. And you should read Wednesday Wars mm. first if you can. You could read yes. any of them without knowing about the other ones. But if you're going to do okay for now, knowing that you should read Wednesday Wars first, you should read Wednesday Wars first. Yeah. Well, I am reading Wednesday Wars in oh, August. Okay. Yes, you okay. are. When you all are reading yeah. it again. So, so yes. then go straight we'll to okay there. for now because mm-hmm. Doug Swiatek can't read. And he's in, mm. he's oh. in eighth grade. And he is labeled as, you know, and and he's got a brother who's an ex-con and another one who's trying to be an ex-con. And so he is just labeled as the kid who literally nobody cares about. And the principal's really clear with him about that. Nobody cares about you. Nobody has your back. Yeah. Except for the physics teacher who thinks he's brilliant. And the English teacher who so elegantly just says, you know, I, I need your help. Because he's always in trouble. So he's always in detention. I need your help. So your detention is going to be with me because I have this county literary literary or literacy program I'm developing. I need you to help me test it. 
All right. I'm definitely going to have to read this. I love hearing these stories about boys who overcome. Yes. Because they don't fit in the school system, but they really have, they have genius and capacity, but beyond our understanding. Yes. I found Gary D. Schmidt to be even more satisfying when I read Carter Jones, because I could just see how these kids turn out. And you get the sense, the strong, strong sense in Wednesday Wars and okay for now, that these kids who are just quirky and different, they're just not like the normal group of kids. It takes one, or in these cases, maybe two adults who are willing to rally for them. Or in the case for okay for now, there's a whole community that comes around Doug Swiatek. And it's it's all the non-traditional people helping in non-traditional ways to help this non-traditional kid not survive, but thrive, come alive mm-hmm. and thrive. And what Gary D. Schmidt seems to do so brilliantly is to capture the boyishness boy and the, the boy who just, he doesn't look like the textbook version of a boy and nobody knows what to do with him. But there's going to be one or two really committed, insightful adults who sort of are, become the patron of the kid. And Mm -hmm. show the kid a life he never even considered. I mean, Doug Zwiatek, you know, who's, who's his, both of his brothers are, are either criminals or becoming criminals and his dad, who's an alcoholic and an abuser. So he's going to become an artist. And it's so great in Carter Jones when you find out that he is an artist. That he studied in Europe and like that he's, he's successful and happy and healthy. And so Gary just, Gary D. Schmidt just gives us the gift of seeing these boys in their natural elements coming alive and thriving in really unexpected and profound ways. Well, I think that's one of the things that I appreciate about him is that these boys are doing exceptional things and they're maturing, but they're not superheroes. They're not really having big, no. unusual things happen to them that you, the boy reading the book, knows is never going to happen to him. He is having things happen to him. Right. Well, I mean, they're probably not going to, they might not get to meet a baseball hero or something like that. But but these are just kids struggling with kid things and they come through them with the help of adults, mm-hmm. not all on their own because mm-hmm. they are the know-all and be-all. Mm-hmm. But it's nothing that couldn't happen to a real person. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Can I share a picture book that I really like by Gary Schmidt? Yes. It's called Almost Time. And it's about a little boy who's waiting anxiously for the maple syrup to come back from the trees because they ran out of maple syrup. And his oh. dad always cooks breakfast for him. Oh. And he wants to put the maple syrup <laughs> on the breakfast. But so he keeps, you know, asking his dad, is it time? And his dad is so super patient with him. And it's just a beautiful, like, relationship story between the father and the son. Um, there's no mother in the story. So you're kind of just wondering, like, why is she not in the story? Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it, it's a delightful one. Oh, yay. And Tanya, you'll be happy to know he's got a couple of picture book biographies. Sojourner Truth and uh, William Bradford, I think. I know Tanya really loves picture book biographies, so. Ooh, I do. They're my favorite thing. 
Yay. So the assignment for next month is everybody go find a Gary D. Schmidt book and come back and report. <laughs> Just teasing. <laughs> That's fun. I'll do the picture book biography. Of course you will. <laughs> well, girls, we've talked a lot, as always. This is so fun. Johnny and Sarah, thanks for your time this afternoon. It was fun, as always. 